From Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the, God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're dismissing children for Children's Church. That's ages 4 through 1st grade, and the rest of you may be seated. You can head out the north door. Well, this morning, again, uh, we have a special guest preacher. It is John Steer, who uh, served as the senior pastor at Autumn Ridge. Uh, 30... Two years, is that right? 30 years. And now he is uh, a pastor at large, if you will, visiting churches and filling pulpits. And I appreciate John. He has been a blessing to me in my service here in uh, Rochester. And I am grateful to be able to share him with you and the message that God has given his heart today. So let's give a warm Berean welcome to John Steer. Let us pray together. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, I want to speak on maintaining summer joy. This is an important and practical subject because Minnesota summers are fabulous but far too short. In just a few weeks, we'll be saying the summer has just flown by. And for some reason, we never say that about the winter. (laughs) Because we live inside for the majority of the year, it's important we squeeze every drop of joy from each summer day. But it's coming to an end far too soon. I am impressed with the creativity that people go to in search of summer joy. Here's how the residents of Cooper's Hill seek joy in a marvelous event called Cheese Rolling. Chris Anderson has won this competition 22 times. He's endured bruised kidneys, a severe concussion, a broken ankle, all in an effort to win the annual double Gloucester cheese rolling race. This year, the women's race was won by Delaney Irvin, who was knocked unconscious just at the end. She says, I remember hitting my head, but now I have the cheese. She was given it when she came to. What a great sport. And if that is too tame for you, you might want to consider shin kicking, which is popular in the Cotswolds. Why not try this at your next family reunion? It would really add to family togetherness. However, all these pale in comparison to the joy of ferret legging. Now, ferret legging requires a pair of baggy trousers, and these are tied with rope at the ankles, And then a ferret is inserted into the trousers 
which are closed with a belt. No underwear is permitted. Ferrets, of course, have sharp teeth, and the goal is to see how long you can stand without flinching with pain. And until recently, the world record for ferret legging was only about two minutes. But then a true champion emerged on the scene. The Babe Ruth of ferret legging. His name is Reg Meller, and he was able to endure the ferrets for over five hours, although sadly the crowd dispensed because they were bored. You will not be surprised to learn that all these sports come from England, a country famous for its crackpots. Indeed, the requirements for citizenship is that you're eccentric and... Uh, that's how people get their joy. How could you possibly remain joyless participating in one of these magnificent events? And yet none of these activities may appeal to you. But we do want our summer joy to continue, and indeed God commands it. The instruction to be joyful is found throughout Scripture. Psalm 100 begins, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Paul tells the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case we miss it, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Then the apostle tells the Thessalonians, rejoice always. Not just sometimes, rejoice always. It's clear that God wants us to pursue joy. He created us for joy. And joy is a daily necessity. And so my purpose this morning is simple. It is that we grasp the possibility of joy and then we go out and we live a life of joy. And we'll approach our joyful subject by asking four practical questions. And the first is, why is there an absence of joy? When we look around us and look within us, there is a paucity of joy. Now, why is this? First, it could be because of our theology. We may have picked up the impression that Christianity is a, is a serious business, and so joy is inappropriate. In the year 1514, a sensational forgery was published in Venice, Italy, purporting to be a description of Jesus. It began, he's a tall man, well-shaped, amiable, and of reverent aspect, his hair is of a color that can hardly be matched, the color of chestnut falling in waves about his shoulders. His eyes are bright blue, clear and serene, and it continued, no man has seen him laugh. And the implication is that humor, which does so much to alleviate the stress of our, our daily existence, had no part in Jesus' life. And since we are his followers, it should have no part in ours. The description is a fraud, but the myth remains that Jesus was a joyless person. Now, it's true that Jesus speaks about suffering and spiritual disciplines like fasting. The Bible encourages us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But none of these negate the command to be joyful. The grand truth is that the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. The psalmist sings, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. 
Isaiah exult, shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth. And Jesus tells the disciples, your grief will turn to joy. No one will take away your joy. And even more extraordinary is Jesus' very first word spoken after his resurrection. According to Matthew, it was addressed to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary when they came to the tomb on Easter morning. And his salutation to these two women is often translated greetings, but it's actually the word rejoice. Think of that. Because of the resurrection, we can rejoice. At the end of his superb book called Orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton declares that joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. So a miserable Christian is a heretic, for true faith is joyful. Second reason I think there's an absence of joy is because of the days in which we live. Think about it. There's a dreadful war in Ukraine and Sudan. There's appalling starvation in Yemen. There's a coup in Niger. There's an outbreak of political assassinations in Ecuador. And in addition to that, there's gang violence in Haiti, drought in Ethiopia, floods in China. There are school shootings in our own country and wildfires in Hawaii. How dare we be glad when others are gloomy? When so many are dressed in the rags of anxiety, grief, and despair, it would be scandalous to rejoice. But the truth is we'll not make progress on these human catastrophes until we rediscover joy. And the gospel is good news precisely because it announces joy when everything is falling apart. And while we cannot be joyful at injustice, we can be joyful in Jesus. And true Christian joy involves seeing the world as it truly is in all its darkness and despair and alienation and death and still knowing something of joy for the simple reason that our hope is not in this sad world but in the one who has overcome the world. But perhaps the most significant reason there's an absence of joy is because of our personality. 25% of us will suffer from depression. Many of us are on medication. Some of us find it hard just to get through the day, let alone be joyful. <clears throat> and we say that joy is, is not my thing. And thankfully, Paul understands. He writes, rejoice in the Lord always, but of course, only if you are a naturally bubbly person don't worry about this command if temperamentally you are melancholy. Of course, there is no such statement. The command to be joyful is for all of us, whatever our personality, all our problems. So let's dig into this well of joy a bit deeper and ask a second question. What is real Christian joy? When we speak of joy, we're not talking about a person with a perpetual smile on their face. Young babies often smile, but I'm told on good authority it's frequently caused by wind. 
I'm not referring to the feelings we have when we buy a new car or a new clothes for those feelings pass. This is not the emotion of getting a hole in one or hearing that we just received a, a raise at work. Christian joy is not the kind of sensation we get from material possessions or the triumph of competition. Great as those are, they don't last. Biblical joy does. New Testament word for joy is kara. It's linked with another word, charis, which means grace. And so joy is a human expression of divine grace. Joy is the surest sign of the presence of God, for God is joyful. He rejoices in his works and his people, and there is joy in his presence. The Old Testament describes joy as a quality of life. Believers demonstrated their joy in some tangible, physical way like singing, shouting, playing music, dancing, clapping, and leaping. Joy in the New Testament is often expressed as, as ecstasy, a feeling of amazement or an uninhibited response to the, the grace of God. It's not that we seize joy. More often than not, joy seizes us. It's an inside job. Joy is something that God's grace accomplishes within our souls. Joy is grounded in a dynamic relationship with Jesus. Think about those times when you were close to the Lord and you felt something truly wonderful. That was joy. And that sort of joy is not dependent on favorable conditions. Joy is found in the places we would least expect it. In fact, in Scripture, joy is nearly always experienced in the context of some difficulty or discouragement. And so Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. Second Corinthians, Paul describes the Macedonian Christians in this way. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Those first century believers were poor and persecuted, but they had an abundance of joy. And then James gives us the extraordinary instruction, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. The truth is that Christian joy thrives in times of affliction, insult, trouble, temptation, and suffering. It was said of the first Christians, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't surprise us, for joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But perhaps we're thinking, that's unrealistic. It can't possibly be true. Nobody but a masochist would find joy in pain. Recently, I read an extraordinary story. It's about Kim Van Thee. You don't think you know her, but you may. She is the little girl in this famous photo 
taken during the Vietnam War. We've seen her picture a thousand times. Made the world gasp back in 1972. She was nine years old, running along a puddled roadway in front of an expressionless soldier, arms outstretched, naked, shrieking in pain and fear. And the dark contour of her napalm cloud is billowing in the distance. And yet Kim looks back on that experience and thanks God for the bombs because the napalm attack which scarred her body led her to Christ. On Christmas Eve 1982, she ascended a service in a small church in Saigon. And the pastor spoke about how Christmas is not about the gifts we give to each other so much as about the one gift in particular, the gift of Jesus Christ. And that night, Kim said yes to Jesus in that small church in Vietnam, a few miles from the street, where as a little girl, she had run naked. And as an adult, Kim loves to tell others about Jesus. Her faith in Christ has enabled her to forgive those who hurt and scarred her. It's equipped her to pray for her enemies rather than curse them. It's given her the strength not just to tolerate them, but truly to love them. And she writes, today, I thank God for everything, even for that road, especially for that road. Our next question is, how can I find lasting joy? We have seen that joy comes from God and is the birthright of every believer. And yet perhaps we say, I'm a Christian, but I don't have joy. So how can I find lasting joy? Well, first, we can confess our sin. And that's important because when sin comes into our life, the joy will go out. That's what happened to David after he committed adultery and murder. He wrote, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Sin had drained the joy from David's soul like a, a humid Minnesota summer day drains the strength from our body. And so David wisely confesses his sin and he asks the Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we sin, we don't lose our salvation, but we do lose our joy. And we need to open the door of our soul and let the clean air of God's grace blow through. And second, to get joy, we can marvel that the Lord is near. And this is Paul's argument in Philippians when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. The Lord is near. Now, Jesus is near in several ways. He is with us now because he's promised I'll be with you always and his second coming is near it's nearer today than it's ever been before and when he comes all the sadness and injustice and evil and violence and crime and tragedy and hatred will be removed the very things that perhaps prevent us from being joyful today they'll be gone when he comes and what will be left will be his kingdom of joy and that is our future. So let us cherish the truth that the Lord is near. Right now. And when you go home, 
And during this week, whatever happens, the Lord is near. A third way we can find joy is to focus on God. God is the source of our joy, and it's important we see him clearly. It's hard to take notes if the PowerPoint projector is not focused properly, and it's hard to be joyful if the character of God is out of focus. George Muller, that extraordinary Christian and lover of orphans, began every single day by focusing on God. And he explained why when he said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary purpose to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. In Psalm 16, we find David focusing on God. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The closer we come to God, the more we experience the joy he has to offer. It's helpful not only to focus on who God is, but on what God is doing. There is a danger that we only see the process of our lives rather than the product. Let me explain what I mean. Supposing we're going through a difficult time. We've lost our job, money is tight, we've got problems at home. That is the process of life. Life is hard, life is difficult. And when we focus on it, we get discouraged and we can lose our joy. But instead, let's look at the product and consider what God is teaching us through these circumstances. We know that his plans for us are good. So what is he achieving? What product is he producing? Scripture tells us that God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. He's equipping us for service. He's making us more Christ-like. One of the most helpful verses to meditate on in times of crisis is is Romans 8.28, where Paul affirms, we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. This tells us that God is working to a plan in our life. It's not arbitrary. Some years ago, I was at the Wedgwood factory in England, and I watched a potter at work. To my inexperienced eye, it looked like he was making a mess and the object would be ruined. But gradually, it began to take shape and became something of great beauty and value. When we begin to see what God is working towards in our life, it will be a source of joy, for he wastes no experience we encounter. And so we focus on God, for in his presence there is fullness of joy. One last question. When will I experience joy? After all, that's what we want this summer and in the coming fall and winter. And the reality is that joy is experienced as it's shared with others. Joy is multiplied as we pass on the good news of Jesus and his love. And if we've lost our joy as Christians, it may be because we're not giving it away. 
And we do this in our service for God and in our giving to Christ. This church wants you to have joy, and that's why we've heard the announcement about Awana. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's why we had an offering as we give our gifts to the ministry here. It is a way for us to have joy. A scholar called Bengal, who wrote commentaries in Latin, which probably explains why they're not selling well today, said this in summarizing the book of Philippians. Paul's main point of the letter is that I rejoice, so you must rejoice. When you think of the circumstances in which Paul wrote Philippians, it is incredible. Here is Paul chained to a Roman soldier for 24 hours a day, and he's saying, I'm rejoicing in this prison cell, so you should too. Don't worry about me, I'm fine. Even if I die, I don't mind. That only means I'll be with Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. President Franklin Roosevelt had this motto in the Oval Office. Let unconquerable gladness dwell. That was an extraordinary goal when you consider what Roosevelt faced during his presidency. It was the Great Depression, the attack on Pearl Harbor, and the Second World War. Let unconquerable gladness dwell. I suggest that's a good motto for us this coming week. How can we not be glad when we remember that our sins have been forgiven, that God is our Father, that we had the assurance of eternal life, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's coming again for us in power and glory. And so every season of the year, Let us follow the splendid example of the pilgrims as they ascended Mount Zion in Jerusalem. They expressed their joy together. And so shall we, as we say these verses on the screen in unison. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much that you have done great things for us and that you are the source and supplier of lasting joy. We praise you for the joy of sins forgiven, of peace with God and a home in heaven. And if sin has deprived us of our joy, we ask that you cleanse us from our iniquity and renew our fellowship with you. With David, we'd cry out, restore to us the joy of your salvation. We thank you for the gladness of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and who produces the fruit of joy. And we ask that he'd come now and fill our lives and drive out everything that's displeasing in your sight. We praise you for the joy of service, for the thrill of being used by you, and for the satisfaction of being co-laborers with Christ. And we ask all this in the joyful name of Jesus. Amen.